Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Morning, Rev. We thought that uh, this week would be a good week to tackle some of the challenging elements that come out in this story of the conquest of the promised land. We, we come across things like invasion, war, we come across what can appear to be ethnic cleansing. Uh, we come across cruelty. Um, and we thought it would be a good a good time to take in one of these stories. I'm not going to read the whole story, but we're going to read a, a section of it, which particularly highlights some of those things I've just mentioned. And really try to grapple with that and face that um, as a church and, and, and ask ourselves, ask ourselves under the light of scripture, what's really going on here? How does this work? Is this okay? Um, what does it mean for today? And even we're going to attempt in a humble way, um, not we won't be able to go into enormous detail, but in a humble way, just look to even try to connect it in a, as best we can to some of the difficulties we've been uh, uh, seeing in the Middle East, um, particularly the Israel-Palestine uh, issue. Um, the difficulties there and just try to perhaps um, say some things that will help us to know how to begin to think about that and process that. So if you turn with me to Joshua chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 18 down to the end of the chapter. That's, that's verse 18 to 35. The words are going to come up on the screen. Joshua chapter 8 verses 18 to 35. A bit, of, a little bit of context for you. This is about the fall of Ai. Ai is the city that um, they attempted to attack earlier but they failed and and it was discovered that that the reason was that Achan had stolen some of the uh, some of the forbidden uh, items and then uh, we heard about that in in the um, in in the sermon last week so now that they go back again and this time um, it's 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 successful Um, I'm not going to go into all the details of of the strategy of it in the first 18 verses or the first 17 verses because for today's purposes, they're not relevant. So here we go, verse 18 of Joshua 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and quickly and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped, but the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword, and all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. 
So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, a servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered it on, on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, please help me uh, in a special way with today's message. Amen. Amen. So what have we got really uh, going on here? The first thing to say is that this conquest of the promised land is an what you might call an enough moment. Throughout scriptures, the scripture, there, there are enough moments, moments where God says enough. Um, you find it with the flood is, uh, is an enough moment. God says enough. The world's full of violence. Um, all that goes on in people's minds is, is evil and enough. But he, he delivered Noah, his wife. Noah's three sons and their wives, eight people in an ark, were delivered. There was a blessing, salvation, but it was judgment. God says enough. You find it with the story of the Israels being delivered from Egypt. God says enough. I've heard your groaning. I've seen the oppression. I've seen what's going on. Enough. And there's judgment on the Egyptians. There's rescue, salvation, deliverance for all those who painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. The people of Israel rescued. Then we've got uh, here. It's an enough. It's an enough moment. If I read to you from Leviticus, where God is uh, speaking to His people, He says, "You shall for you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them." That's Leviticus twenty. Verses 22 and 23. God is uh, righteous, holy, morally perfect, has really strong feelings about um, degraded, perverted, uh, twisted, dark behavior. He hates it. And we live in quite a complacent age, quite a complacent part of the world where we uh, tolerance is all. Um, but interestingly, um, Regardless of whether or if people say a certain thing is right, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And regardless of if people say a certain thing is wrong, if it's right, it's right. And uh, God in his word has shown us what is wrong and what is right. And we know that the uh, practices of these people in these uh, cities and towns and villages was absolutely vile. 
and and actually it, it, God had given them a long time, centuries in fact, to change, and they hadn't, and that's clear as well throughout Scripture that the part of the timing of God delivering Israel from Egypt, why why they were there four hundred plus years. Part of it was God was given the, the people in the land he was going to take them to time to change, which which they didn't. The land vomited them out. So it's an enough moment. It's nothing. It's not even an, uh, an, an ethnic thing. It's just these people are living like this. It's a righteousness, unrighteousness thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a wicked lifestyle thing. It's an enough moment. That's what's going on there. Um, interestingly. The land does vomit Israel out. Um, there are there are two main moments of uh, where, where uh, the Assyrians drive out the northern tribes in the 700s BC, and the Babylonians drive out the southern tribes in the 500s BC. And that again is the judgment of God. God says, "I'm raised up these people to drive you out." Why? Because the way you're living is vile. So it's another enough moment. The Israelites themselves are, 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 are put into exile. And we know that there's one more enough moment to come, which is the return of Christ, final judgment, where God says enough now. You know, often we, we think, God, why, won't, why don't you step in and, and do this? And God's, God says there's a day coming where every wrong will be put right. So we really need to see it in the broader context what's going on here. It's an enough moment. Now, in this context, the Israelite people, their army, are being used as God's instrument of judgment. That's what's going on. Like we said, like I said a moment ago, later on, the Assyrians are used, ungodly as they are, they are used, God raises them up to deal with, to bring judgment on, to bring his judgment on the northern tribes. A couple of centuries later, the Babylonians are used and raised up as instruments of, of judgment to drive out the southern tribes for their wickedness and so really what's going on here in in this in in this kind of age in this epoch that god is using certain people at certain times to be the instruments of his righteous judgment um which is not not the case anymore that when jesus came he said god has given all judgment to the son so judgment now has been entrusted to the son and um, when Jesus returns, that's why we call it the day of judgment. He then will judge the living and the dead. Um, so there's that final enough moment where the son, the instrument of the father's judgment, he's been given all judgment to him, will, will bring serious, final, irreversible judgment to all those who have ever lived. That's what we believe. That's what the scriptures teach. And so it's really important that we we see that we see understand it in the context of what it of what it is. Um, what is the so the equivalent today? If we think about how do we use these kinds of stories, the equivalent today is the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, um, driving out darkness. The Bible says that that the, after Christ's resurrection. And ascension that he's now enthroned at the right hand of the Father, waiting until all of his enemies are placed under his feet. How are the enemies of Christ, demonic enemies, spiritual enemies, not people, spiritual enemies, spiritual forces of wickedness, how are they placed under his feet? It's when the church takes seriously its mission to deal with darkness, takes seriously its mission to pray, um, to witness, um, to live righteously, to be salt and to be light. In doing that, 
We are driving out the forces of darkness that operate uh, behind uh, wicked situations, wicked relationships, wicked institutions. As we as we live that out, we drive out the darkness there. That's the equivalent there to what's going on. We make good Christ's work on the cross. That's what we're doing. And so and so the people that are being destroyed in, in, in this story that we read, the equivalent here is the enemy and his cohorts. Spiritual forces of darkness, oppression, wickedness, injustice. We are, to, as the church, as the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, drive out those forces of darkness in the ways I mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, and the spoil of these cities, the things that they, they then took uh, uh, as spoil, that, those the equivalent of that now are souls saved, people rescued, people pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and, 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 and born again and brought into the kingdom of Christ and made alive to God. That's the equivalent. That's how this the, the parallel, if you like, works now. So we're to be just as militant as what we read about here, just as strategic, just as devoted, just as militant, but not against people, against the works of the enemy, against oppression, against injustice, against sin, against um, perversion, against the actual things themselves in prayer. And 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 we're to and we and we are to in the same way that they that they took the spoil and you know gathered gathered that for the for the for the building of the purposes of God. We are to love and serve and witness faithfully to people of the amazing uh, love of a holy and righteous God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us. We're to, we're to proclaim the good news um, of new life in Jesus and of, and, of, uh, and, and of forgiveness of sins in his name. That's, that's the equivalent. That's how it works. And so then when we come to think uh, about... Um, the situation that we see over in the Middle East, Israel, Palestine, this isn't that. Okay, now it sounds obvious. It sounds obvious, but actually there are wings of the evangelical church that are that have really unhelpfully kind of just looked at this, this story in the Old Testament of God promising Israel this land and then them going and, 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 and taking the land kind of almost, not however they please, but, you know, violently. And they've gone, well, it's fine. So... It, it, it's okay to do to do that. They've just they've just made an exact parallel between the two. That's not good Bible interpretation. That's not good Bible application. Um, that's not uh, intelligent understanding of the purposes of God throughout the whole of Scripture. Let's talk about the situation over there with the land. The theology of the land is actually quite complex. Theology. God promised Abraham. The land of Canaan. Um, the question is: Is that covenant with Abraham and his offspring is that obsolete or not? That's an important question you have to ask. If it's not obsolete, then then we have to ask: Okay, has it been enlarged in Christ now to mean the ends of the earth, and therefore that strip of land is no longer specifically relevant in any way? Um, is the return of the Jews? to their historic land spiritually significant at all these are important questions that you need to work through theology theologically on a 20 minute uh, zoom sermon we're not able to do that and if I, also if i'm speaking honestly i would say that i'm probably in the there's only so many theological things 
you can grapple with at a time. I would say this is now one of them that I'm pretty much in the thick of trying to make sense of. So again, I would even be um, nervous at this stage, um, nailing my colours to the mast on the theological question. But even if you believe, even if you said, yeah, no, I believe that somehow, not due to any merit on the part of ethnic Israel, but somehow due to a promise God made to Abraham and his descendants that in some way that land was in some way their inheritance. Um, there are still many, many questions that are raised through what is going on. It certainly does not give anyone a divine right to treat anyone else in a cruel, dehumanising, oppressive way. That is clear. Any idea in this age about driving people out uh, is out of kilter with what we have been charged to do under the Great Commission. We're called to drive demons out. We're not called to drive people out. We're called to dispossess the enemy, uh, Satan, the serpent, not dispossess families. Now, we need to be very aware of how, how delicate this situation is and the layers and layers and layers that there are to it. Because the church, as well as obviously having a difficult history with uh, Islam, with Muslims, um, the Crusades and many other difficulties, obviously, you know, we are not in agreement as faith. We do not believe what they believe. They do not believe what we believe. Um, our our long, deep longing is to see Muslims come to Jesus Christ for salvation. That's We make no bones about that. But there is a very difficult history of much uh, violence um, and, and warfare. But not only that, also to say that um, the church has a very anti-Semitic history. The church has not done well with our Jewish brothers and sisters either. And so we have to walk really carefully on this matter because both Jews and Muslims will be looking to at Christians suspiciously. That's just the reality of what it is. Many of the Palestinian Muslims would perceive that the evangelicals are supporters of um, what they would understand as their their oppression and their dispossession. They would they would understand that that evangelicals, particularly in the US, are behind that and supporters of that. Many of the Jews would 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 lay much much of the blame really of of the Holocaust at the feet of Christian uh, anti-Semitic theology and rhetoric that has been very very uh, violent and vitriolic over the centuries. They would they would uh, and and even even you know the the whole um, Nazi movement really uh, really found a friend in Christian. Uh, theology uh, and, and much of that was was kind of used to justify what went on we must be aware of this um, and so if we're going to mat respond maturely if we're going to do well as believers in Christ as believers in the Messiah if we're going to do well in this we mustn't we mustn't allow ourselves to become um, just uh, reactive Simply, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to really think this through very carefully. We need much wisdom um, from God. We've got to think about things from a gospel missional 
a standpoint. Our priority is to see all people saved through Jesus the Messiah and reconciled to one another in him. That's the ultimate goal. Ephesians 1 verse 10 says it's God's purpose to bring everyone together under Christ. We want to see uh, Jews and Palestinians reconciled in Christ. That's that's the end goal. Um, Whichever side of the fence you sit on with regards to the land, theologically speaking, um, the righteous treatment of all people with a special care for the weak and oppressed is a gospel essential. And wherever you see that there's dehumanisation going on or hatred, racism, theft, anything like that, we have to take a stand against it. We have to pray against it. We have to work out how to stand with those who are on the receiving end of that. Really, really, in a sense, um, separate from what we think about the land, the land itself. There, there, almost we mustn't make everything lump everything into one issue. What, what, where the wisdom is needed right now is to understand this is a multi-layered situation. It's got religious layers. It's got ethnic layers. It's got political layers. Uh, it's got relational layers. It's got layer upon layer upon layer. And the wisdom to be able to know, okay, what, what, are, we, what are we about ultimately? Uh, what's God's heart in this situation? Really understanding that. Um, and, and also to understand that in both cases, although they're in the minority, in both cases, you know, in Israel, there are a growing number of believers in the Messiah. Um, still very much you know a minority in a nation that is either mostly secular or followers of Judaism in Palestine which is a vast majority made up of Muslims actually there's 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 still also a, a, a significant number of believers and so again we've got to think through in in that sense you know the the, the body of Christ one body um, that, that, that we, we mustn't allow what, what we, we've got to think of ways of standing with our brothers on both sides of the wall, both sides of the wall and helping them find Christ, helping them find one another in Christ, helping um, with those members, praying and supporting wherever we can. Obviously, as, as a church, we are involved in some ways and, and, and looking for the Lord to help us increasingly be able to be uh, helpful and uh, a voice for unity. And a voice for harmony. Um, there's so many things I've said today, and you know, some of them probably may sound a bit vague. Some of them, you know, you may it may left you thinking. So where are we at on that? Where, where are we at on that? Today is not a day of bringing in clear lines on this and that. I've made drawn a couple of very clear theological lines, um, but then I've also said that the situation that's going on there, you know, there is some thought going on theologically, um, but also some very much wanting to just understand the situation politically, looking to listen to more and more people from both perspectives of what is a very polarised situation and trying to discern and learn and grow in knowledge and understanding of what what, what is it um, in order that there can be just some really wise and helpful uh, involvement in a godly spirit-filled way um, to see um, essentially two things to see any who are on the receiving end of uh, oppression injustice pain as helped 
and supported as possible uh, and also to see um, the body of Christ go from strength to strength and grow in reconciliation because we know that, it's, that, that, that Jesus's physical body on the cross um, at that moment of crucifixion so many things were going on but one of the hugely important things that were going on was that a wall between Jew and Gentile was being broken down so that we might come to become one people of God in Christ together not that we lose our identity as Jew or Gentile but that we but we do find our unity in Christ and that has to be our prayer if we're going to be a gospel-centered people I hope I've gone some way to speak into some of the difficult things we find in this Joshua story uh, and also some of the difficult things that we are seeing um, on our television screens and in our newspapers and online and I hope that it can be the beginning on that front of a bit of a journey of uh, doing increasingly well and um, having a voice uh, godly uh, reconciling uh, helpful uh, voice into these matters God bless you